All right, guys, if you've got your Bibles, I wish you'd open with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be covering a lot of ground today, and I can't read all of this to you, but we're going to cover two long chapters in the book of Matthew. But before we do that, uh, we're going to let the kids go. How about that? Yeah, I'm so unused to this now. I've got to get back in a routine. Bye, kiddos. Children's church is taking off. There you go. Good deal. Dalton, teach them good. We're trusting you. All right. You get warmed up this week so that you can preach for me when I'm out. Okay. All right, let's go again. Matthew 24. Here we go. And uh, we've been in the series talking about Jesus being our prophet, our priest, and our king. We talked about him being the prophet, that he was the, the revealer, the one who came to reveal the Father to us. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, then you've seen me. Jesus also came to be our Redeemer, our priest and our Redeemer, who didn't just enter into the, the Holy of Holies in, in Jerusalem, but entered into heaven itself, not with the blood of bulls and goats, the Scripture says, but with his own blood that he shed for you and I, that he went in and he paid the debt that our sin deserved. And so he became our Redeemer. And today we're going to talk about him being our King, and that is our ruler or our judge or our King, the one that, that we will one day stand before and give an account to. God, God is building a kingdom. He has invited us to be a part of that kingdom, but, but he didn't invite us to come and be the king of that kingdom. He invited us to come and be a subject in his kingdom. One of the truths that scripture teaches is that we were once uh, slaves of sin, but that because of what Jesus has done, he brought us into his kingdom to be servants of the king. And so while we went from being servants of, of sin to being servants of the king, we remain servants and he remains the king. Uh, the truth of Scripture is that Jesus will one day return, that he will come back and he will gather together from all the nations of the world those who belong to him. Today we're not going to focus on the, the order of those events and how that goes. We've done some of that in the past, but today I want to focus upon what we are supposed to do in that gap between right now and the time that we open our eyes and see Jesus in person. What do we do in the meantime? How do we live in this gap between now and then? In order that when we get there then, things will go well. Um, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 uh, are, are two chapters that Scripture records a, basically a response of Jesus to some questions that were asked of him by his disciples. In the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus is um, he's just left the temple He's sat down with the disciples. He's explained to the disciples that, that all the stones and all the structure of the temple will one day be destroyed, not one stone left upon another. Uh, that actually occurred in, in A.D. 70, about 30, 35 years after Jesus spoke those words. But Jesus is also saying the kingdom of this world is not going to last. It was never meant to last forever, that there is a new kingdom coming in Revelation, it says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and that the old order of things will disappear and be gone. We will be changed from bodies that are decaying and dying to a body that will live forever. Uh, isn't that good news? That, that the things that we struggle with right now, uh, the things that we hope maybe don't come our way, that those things will never, ever be a part of, of eternity with Christ. So the disciples are listening to Jesus describe this, this coming kingdom and this, this change that's about there. And they ask him a question uh, in, in chapter 24 uh, about what will be the signs of your coming and what will be the signs of the end of the age. 
And so for the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 in Matthew, Jesus basically answers those questions. They want to know what's, what's the time, what's the date, when are you coming back, how long will it be? He doesn't give them a direct answer. He says, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. In fact, the angels of heaven don't know that. I don't know that even as a son of God. That's the Father's call, and he will make that call. And, and here's what Jesus says in a nutshell in these two chapters is, stop worrying about when it's going to happen. It will happen. Don't try to sit around and, and calculate and figure out when that's going to occur. You just live every day as if it could be today. Go into this day and say, what if this was the last day? What if at sunset today, Jesus came back? Would I be ready? And that's the way we are to live in this gap, is that we live as if he could come back any moment now. Because the truth is, he could. And the truth is, he's going to come back in a day when men don't expect it, when men are, are, not, are, are not just going through the routines of their day. And there's going to be a lot of people surprised when Jesus returns. We're going to see in this chapter that there's two different types of responses. The, the world will mourn at his coming because they will realize that the scripture was true and that they were wrong. And now they suffer. On the other hand, it will be a day of great rejoicing, a day of great celebration for those who are prepared. So what Jesus says is, there's coming this day when I will return. There's going to be two types of responses, uh, the, the mourning and the weeping and the gnashing of a teeth and then the celebration that will go on forever in eternity. And what you do in this gap right now will determine which of those two responses you will have when he comes. Jesus doesn't say if the Son of Man returns. He says when the Son of Man returns. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I want to start at the end of the story in Matthew 25, at the very end. And I want to look at that, and I'm going to show you how that everything he brings in before that points forward to what he's trying to explain at the end of 25. So we're going to look at 24 and 25, but we're going to start at the end of chapter 25. Jesus tells a story. It's a story that all of you will be very, very familiar with about the final judgment, the final time when Christ returns. And he, he uses a, an illustration that, that would have been very, very familiar to the people of that day. Shepherds would, would watch sheep and goats, and they would many times they would, would put them together at night in the, in the pen, and then they would send them back out in, into separate places during the day. But he uses the illustration of, of sheep and goats, and he's going to Paint this picture with the illustration of the believers being the sheep and the lost world being this, these, these goats. And so look what it says. It says, when the Son of Man comes, not if, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I'm sorry, I'm in verse 31, by the way. I didn't tell you all that. But Matthew 25, 31. So the Son of Man is going to come in his glory, all the angels will come with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. He is going to reign and rule forever. It's while he's on this throne that he's going to pronounce the verdict of what people did in the gap between the, their, their life and the time that Christ returned. So before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So this is going to be a moment in time where, where truth will be revealed. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, that's going to be revealed and, and your, your fate will be sealed. We know from other scriptures there's going to be some that are going to be standing before the Lord on that day 
And he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And they say, whoa, Lord, hang on, hang on. We were religious. We were preachers. We were prophets. We were miracle workers. We did, we did things in your name. We did all these signs and wonders and all this stuff. And he's going to say, depart from me because we never had a relationship. This is that day that he's talking about where, where he's going to separate the true believers from those who aren't. And here's the interesting thing. Is a person who looks like a believer but is not will end up in the same place as a person who never even attempted to look like a believer. So here he is. He's gathering the people from all the nations. He is going to separate them one from another as a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep... On his right hand, which is his, his prominent place of, of, of power and honor that he'll place him on, and the goats he'll place on his left. The king will say to those on his right, these are to the sheep, to those that belong to him, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, this is, this is kind of cool. He, he brings them into his presence. He separates them, and then he addresses those who are his. And he says, I've got a kingdom that you as my child get to inherit. And it's a kingdom that I've prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or or thirsty and give you a drink? When, When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you worked hard, you did good things, you get to come to heaven. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, if if these guys were working for their salvation, when Jesus says, hey, when when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in in the hospital, you came. When I was in prison, you did. When I was hungry, you fed me. They would say, yep, Lord, you're right. You're right. I did it. I, I checked the boxes. I got it right. If they were working for their salvation, when he said, this is what you did, they would have said, well, yeah. But what's their response? Lord, when? When did we do those things? Do you know why they're asking, when did we do those things? Because those were things that just came naturally out of the relationship they had with Jesus. It flowed out of the changed heart that Jesus put within them. It was something that, just, that they just did, and they, they, they didn't sit around. It wasn't duty. It was delight that they could do that because when they served the least, they were serving the king. It wasn't something that was forced upon them from the outside. It's something that flowed from within out of their, out of their heart and out of their, their life that Jesus had transformed. It's not going to be that way for the others. 
says, then he says to those on his left, these are the, the goats, the, the, the lost. Depart from me. Can, can you imagine this? Being gathered to his throne. And you're going, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. This, this is heaven. This is the throne. There's the king. I'm here. And the first thing he says to you is, depart. All you get is, is a glimpse. And then you're cast out. He said to those that were his, come you who are blessed. He says to those who are not, depart from me, you cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at the contrast. Come, back, back in, in, verse, in verse 34, come who are blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To the cursed, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What a difference. What a stark contrast between those two. And then he says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they also will answer, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you. Lord, if we'd known that was you, we would have done it. Why? Because that looks good. And, and, and we wanted to keep you happy. And the emphasis here is, Lord, when do, we, when do we not do that to you? And then he will answer them and he will say, Truly I say to you, as long or as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Already Jesus has said that when we love those who love us, we're no different than the world. When, when, when I pat your back so that you can pat my back, when I, when I do you a favor so you can do me a favor, then, then, then we're not behaving any different than the world behaves because the world's got that down pat. We've got to give a little to get a little, you know? And, and, and that's what the world does. And Jesus is saying here, and these guys are going, hey, man, we, we did good for people. Jesus says, you didn't do it for the least. You didn't do it for those who couldn't repay you. You didn't do it for those who, who had nothing to give back in return. You, you did it, maybe. Maybe you gave some food. Maybe you shared a meal. Maybe you clothed somebody that you, know, that, that you could use your hand-me-downs. But you didn't do it for the least. And in not doing it for the least, you didn't do it to me. Here's what Jesus is saying. When, when we don't minister to those that he created then, then we're, we're not ministering to him. And look at the outcome of these two. Verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, that's those sheep that were on his right side, the righteous into eternal life. And what made them righteous? Was it what they did? Not at all. What made them righteous and what gave them access to heaven was not their righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. If you miss that, you miss the whole point of what Jesus has just said. If you miss that, you'll go back and you'll begin to look at this list and say, okay, Lord, let me, let me see, what do I need to do? 
Oh, and you'll read the story with your to-do list. And you'll start making it. Okay, I need to, I need to, I need to feed the hungry. Okay. Let me, let me find a shelter I can go. Let me, let me find somebody that's thirsty on the side of the road and throw them a bottle of water. Let me, let me, let me find somebody that was sick. I'll just start visiting the hospitals. Let me, let me start a prison ministry and, and see those that are in prison. And you'll start a to-do list out of this. And that's not what Jesus was saying at all. He's saying those who've been made righteous by Christ live different than those who haven't been. This is not about a to-do list. This is about a to-done list. Jesus did it all. He paid it all on the cross. And that ought to change the way that we live. It changes our heart, and then our heart does differently. And that's why these that are standing before the Lord... Listen, we're not going to play games when we stand before the Lord. Okay? It's not going to be, oh, this, this false modesty like, oh, Lord, when did I do that? If truth has ever been spoken, it's been spoken before the throne. And, and here are those that are, that are belonging to the Lord because of the righteousness of Christ. They stand before him and say, Lord, when do we serve you? When do we do all those things that you've just said? And Jesus will say, it flowed naturally out of the abundance of your heart because I transformed your heart and made you different. You see, this day is coming when everything will be revealed. Everything will be made known. The truth will be made known for the world to see. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we're not going to spend much time there. I just want to look at that one verse. But let me, let me put it on the screen and you can, you can read along with us. But, but 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul is talking about how that he's examined himself and he thinks that he's fine before the Lord. But he says, you know, there's coming a day when, when it's going to be the Lord judging me. And then he says in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Watch this. Don't pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, that's the time. And the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And he will disclose the purposes of the heart, the motives of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. There's coming this day when every one of us will stand before the Lord and he will be our judge. He will be the one that decides where we spend eternity. He will make known those things that are hidden now, and he will disclose the motives of our heart. Why did you do what you did? This is huge, because for some, some people who sit in church, and I, I say this because I was one, okay? So I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm saying this is where I lived. We go to church, we learn the rules, we do them to the best of our ability, and people look at us and say, wow. That dude's got it together. And the motive of our doing can be to gain the applause of men, to try to get God to be proud of us, to try to do something that would would motivate God to be more gracious to us. And our motives can be whacked if we're not careful. We can go to church because, well, that's what moral people do. And, man, we're starting a new year, so, you know, that just needs to be on my to-do list this year. I need, to, I need to go to church more. And Jesus says there's going to come a day when those motives that drove your behavior are made known. And if we're doing it out of duty and not out of delight, if we're doing it to gain God's approval instead of doing it because God's already given us his approval, That will be made known. It will be made known on this day of judgment. And each one will receive his commendation. Either your reward 
or your punishment for, for that. So he, he's confirming that back in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And so um, the, the motives of these hearts are going to be made known when the Lord comes back, and then each will receive this commendation from the Lord. So everything that Jesus says in chapter 24 and 25 that lead up to this moment uh, is packed with a warning for unbelievers, and it's going to be packed with this benefit or this, this blessing that, that follows for believers. Uh, but it's absolutely critical that as we examine these two chapters real quick this morning, and, and we're just going to take kind of a helicopter view over the top of these things. But as we examine these, these chapters this morning, it's absolutely critical to understand that Jesus is not giving us a to-do list. Okay, If you read this section as a to-do list, but your heart is not transformed, then you become guilty of what the Pharisees were, where you polish the outside of the cup, but the inside still filled with dirt. You become like the Pharisees who, who, who whitewashed the tombs, but inside those tombs are still dead man's bones. So please don't see this as a to-do list, but see it as an all-done list, something that Jesus has already done. It's not things that we should do in order to get to heaven, but it's things that he's made possible and he's made a reality by dying for us. These are the things that we will become as a result of the fact that we belong to him. So there's 10 benefits I want to point out in these two chapters real quick as we go through this. And, and these benefits of belonging to Jesus are really the outworking of his inworking. In other words, he's done a work in us, and this is the outcome. This is the fruit that, that is, is, is visible on the outside. This is what's hanging on the branches because of what's been taking place in the soil of our soul. So there's 10 benefits of, of doing this. Let's go back to chapter 24. We're going to walk through just section by section super fast. And I'm going to show you some of the benefits that Jesus points out that come from belonging to Christ, that result in the end of the separation and us being in the, in the favorable side with those that are the sheep, those that belong to him. So one of the, one of the first benefits of, of belonging to Christ in chapter 24 is that we can understand the times without being led astray. Remember the disciples asking, Lord, what are the times and what, what, what are the dates that you set? And he says here, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you some clues. I'm going to give you some signs. And you're going to be able to understand these times without being led astray. Look in chapter 24, verse 3. He sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age. Verse 4. And Jesus answered them and says, See to it that no one leads you astray. These things that I'm about to tell you will keep you from going astray, keep you from chasing rabbits, keep you from following somebody who proclaims himself to be the, the, the savior of the world, the deliverer of all people, the man with all the answers. And instead of you chasing after him, you can remain chasing after Jesus. So one of the benefits of belonging to Christ is that we can understand the times that we live in. Jesus is going to go through, and I'm not going to read you all 24 and all 25, but he's going to go through in here and he's going to describe several of the events and several of the, the, the big things that are going to take place before the coming of Christ. And he gives us those things and says, look, you can't know the day or the hour, but you can know the season. You can know what, what the season looks like. And he talks about the fig tree and, and how that when the fig tree's leaves begin to change, you know summer's right around the corner. So you can look at the events of time and you can compare it to Scripture and you can go, man, we got to be getting close to Jesus coming back. Even though you don't know the day or you don't know the hour, you can know we've got to be getting close. So you can understand the times and that will help you from being led astray. The Messiah has come. We don't need another Messiah. We have people all around us that will tell us, I've got the answer that will fix the world's problems. 
And Jesus says, there's only one that can do that. And he's already come, and he will one day come again. Keep your eyes on him. There's a second benefit of belonging to Christ. And that is that we can live through the chaos without getting confused. He's going to talk about wars and rumors of wars and all these things that have got to take place. And he says, don't be alarmed for all these things that have got to take place, but the end is not yet. Look at verse 6. He, he just kind of lays it all out there. And he says, and you will hear of these wars, these rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed before all this must take place, but the end is not yet. So we can live through the chaos. We can live through the confusion. We can live through the downfall of nations and keep our eyes on Jesus and not have to be confused. And, and we can literally, you can, you can pick up the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand and go, you know what? The Bible said this was going to happen. The Bible says that, that, that people's hearts are going to go cold. The Bible says that people are going to live as if this is just any other day. They're going to live as they did in the days of Noah where they think, oh, well, shoot, you know, he hasn't come yet. Maybe he's never coming. And you can, you can look at the behavior of men and look at the, 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 the revealed word of God and go, okay, it makes sense. It makes sense. So we can understand the times without being led astray. We can live through the chaos without having to be confused. Another thing he says is that we can persevere through persecution without falling away. He says there's going to come this time of great persecution against you. Uh, and, and I'm not going to show you all these verses, but, but he says they're going to deliver you up for tribulation. They're going to put you to death. You're going to be hated by all people. You're going to be betrayed by your brothers. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be uh, 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 hated and, and, and lied about. And these false prophets are going to come. They're going to start leading people astray. And you're going to be persecuted, but you can persevere through the persecution without falling away. Look at verse 13. He just describes all these things and the lawlessness that's going to increase and the love of people that's going to grow cold. And then he says this in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What's he saying? Those who are saved will endure. They will be able to, to persevere through the persecution without falling away. There's a fourth thing that he says here, and that is that we will be providentially protected by the power of God. He talks about how that things will be worse right before the coming of Christ than they've ever been in the history of the world or they will ever be again. Think about that. Some people preach that the world's going to get better and better and better until Jesus comes back. Scripture says no. It's going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. And, and, and it's going to be those, 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 the persecution. Uh, verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. In other words, it's never been this bad, and it's not going to ever get, this, it's not gonna ever get any worse than it is right now. It will be the worst of the worst. But verse 22, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But... For the sake of the elect, of of God's chosen people, those days will be cut short. So even in the worst of the worst, God is providentially protecting his people by his power. You know what that means? That, That if we were living in the worst of the worst of the worst, which I don't believe we are right now, I think it's going to get worse. And I sorry. It's just what I think scripture says. That no matter how bad it gets, God is still right there with his believers. And he will see us through the fire. He will walk with us through the lion's den. He will be there with us in those moments. And we will never be alone. 
And if he weren't, not one person could survive, Scripture says. If he, if he weren't there with us, if he weren't doing his work, then none of us would survive. But he will, for the sake of the elect, be right there with us, protecting us through that time. There's another benefit of belonging to Christ. Is that is that we can long for the return of Christ instead of fearing the return of Christ. I remember growing up, and there was times that when we got a little bigger, and my mom was not near as big as us, we were kind of looking down on her, and we would do something that we knew we shouldn't do. And whereas, as younger, mom would, she'd take care of it herself. As we got a little older, mom would say, you know what, when your dad gets home, he's going to take care of this. Do you think on those days I longed for my dad to come home? Mm-mm. Because I knew what was waiting when he got there. And one thing I can say about my parents were they were people of their word. When they promised it, they delivered it. I prayed back then that they would forget. And they didn't. For those who don't know Jesus, the return of Christ is a fearful thing. Scripture says all that's left is this this fear of judgment that, that, that will one day come. But for those who know Jesus, who have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, who have had all of their sins covered by the blood of Christ, who have had the sacrifice of Christ applied to their account so that they stand before God righteous, that day is a day that we long for because all of that past will be done away with and all that will remain is for us to be in his presence, enjoying him like we were created to do. You see the difference? So what difference does it make? What's the benefit of of belonging to Jesus? I can live every day with an eager expectation and a longing for my Savior to break through those clouds and to come back and to take me home. Because I know that all that waits for me there is not judgment. That all that waits for me there is my Father with his arms open wide who says to me, enter into the joy of your, your master. Come into the kingdom that, I, that, that you're going to inherit, that, that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There is a joy at the, at the thought of the longing of Christ, not the fear. Verses 30 and 31 talk about this. He's talking about the, the, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon's not going to give us light, the stars are going to fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then verse 30, then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Revelation 14 talks about that. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. There's those that don't know Jesus. They're mourning. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. There's his people gathered from the four winds of the, of the earth, from the one end of heaven to the other. And there's going to be this, this rapture that will take place as the, the bride of Christ is called to, to be with the Lord. And the celebration will begin in heaven, and the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. That is a benefit of belonging to Jesus that you know you will be with him and not be here going through all of that. There's another benefit, and that is that we can live with an awareness of where God is leading history. We're not blind. We're not ignorant. We, we have been told in the scriptures of where God's taking this and where it's going to end up. 
And he uses the illustration of, of Noah in this. And he, he talks about the, 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 the coming of the Son of, of Man is going to be like it was in the day of Noah. And, and look what he says here. He says it's going to be a lot like that. Verses 38 and 39. He, uh, look what he says. He says, uh, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Here's what he's saying. In the days of Noah, everybody just went about their own business, doing their own thing, living for themselves. It wasn't that way with Noah. What was Noah doing leading up to the flood? He was serving the Lord. He was a preacher of righteousness, Scripture says. He was building an ark. He was anticipating what God said was sure to happen. And the rest of the world paid him no mind, no attention. You know what it's going to be like in the days leading up to the return of Christ? Believers are going to be working. They're going to be anticipating the return of Christ. They're going to be doing what God has given them to do, leading up to the moment that God shuts the door. While the world just goes about its business and, and does its own thing. If we're waiting for the world to get in line before we get in line, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for a politician to come in and solve the world's problems and turn the nation's heart back to God, that's not going to happen. It's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. The people are partying while the people of God are preparing. And that's what it's going to be like. And that's going to be another distinguishing mark between those who are really believers and those who just say that they are. Another benefit is that those who belong to the Lord will be faithfully carrying out God's will for their lives. Doing what the master has given them to do, not just doing what, what, what feeds their flesh, not just doing what they want to do and living for themselves. He uses the illustration of a, of a, of a master who's gone away, and, and he says that, that, uh, that we're, we're called to, to stay awake and to, 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 to be ready. And, and then he talks about us carrying out this, this faithful will of God in verses 45 and 46. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? To give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he returns. Here's the blessing of being uh, in, in relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that his will becomes our will. His desire becomes our desire. His mission is our mission. And, and we will be faithful to do that. He compares that and contrasts that with these guys who are not, that they, they think, well, the, the master's not going to be back for another month or another year. I can live for myself. And he talks about the guy beginning to beat the other servants and going out and getting drunk with the drunkards and just living for his flesh. And the master shows up unannounced, unexpected by that one, and is cut to pieces and thrown into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The benefit of belonging to Christ is that we can faithfully carry out God's will day to day. That we can be doing so when Jesus comes back. Listen, guys, there's no such thing as retirement in the service of God. You don't reach a point where you say, oh, I, I, I serve my day now. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. 
Not if you're a true believer. You go out with your boots on. You say, with my final breath, I want to be praising Jesus and telling others about him. That's the way a believer lives. That's the benefit of belonging to Jesus. There's another benefit that we see in chapter 25. And that is that we can live dressed in his righteousness, filled with his spirit, and anticipating his arrival. It's a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable about ten virgins. And you, you probably are familiar with this. But, but the ten virgins all get dressed up. They all go to the meeting place. They're all waiting for the bridegroom to come. And, and, and the bridegroom's going to grab them. And they're all going to parade through the town. And they're headed to a great big marriage feast. Ten virgins. Dress it up. Go to the, the meeting place. But only five are ready. Part of the requirement in that day for the bridal party was that they'd have a, a torch. They call it a lamp in, in some translations, but it's a torch wrapped in, in, in cloth and fabric. And it's tightly woven around the end of this stick. And, and, and when it was time, you would take your stick and you would dip it into the jar. And you would soak up all the kerosene or oil or whatever it was they were using in that day to light their torch. And then you, you light the torch. And, and, and the wedding party would carry this throughout the town. And they would be banging noises and making noises, letting everybody know that it's time for the wedding. Because that was the biggest celebration in Jewish life. So here's these ten, these ten virgins, these ten bridesmaids that were gathered in the right place. They were all dressed alike. They were all ready to go and to celebrate, but only five were really ready. They all looked ready, but only five brought the oil to soak their, their torch, to light the torch and to go. And, and, and all of a sudden, they, they, it says they grew tired and they grew sleepy. But at midnight, there was a cry. And the bridegroom shows up. He is here. He is here. And they went to light their torch, and five of them realized they didn't have what it took. The five that were ready had already dipped their torches in the jars, and they'd soaked it all up. And and, and they're ready to light their torches, and the fives won't light. And that dry cloth would not stay lit. And they turned to them and said, "Give give us some oil. And they're like, we can't provide what you need at this point. And the five who were ready went off with the bridegroom for the celebration. A picture of us being taken to heaven with the Lord. And it says the door was shut. Those other five ran off and tried to find an answer, tried to find some oil. It was midnight and all the shops were closed. And later it says they showed up and they knocked on the door. Let us in, let us in. And the bridegroom says, it's too late. I don't know you. You're not a part of this wedding celebration. What he's saying in that parable is this, that you and I, one of the benefits of belonging to Jesus is that we can be dressed in his righteousness. That's the wedding clothes. We can be filled with his spirit. That's the oil. And we can be waiting on his arrival, anticipating him to come so that when he does whenever that may be we are ready and we can go and we will not miss out verse 10 of that story the second half of that verse says the bridegroom came 
And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Eternity was sealed. It's just like what happened in the days of Noah. Remember that? Noah doing the work, Noah preparing, Noah getting ready, the, the, the town just partying. And then the rain came. And the people began to panic. But if you read the story of Noah real careful, you'll see that God is the one that shut the door. And only those who prepared were allowed on that boat. And here's a picture of these, these five that were ready and five that were not. And when they came knocking later, he says, I'm sorry, but it's too late. Lord, open to us. He says, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. And the point of that parable is the last sentence. He says, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Be ready ahead of time. It's another parable Jesus tells. It's a parable of the talents, and you guys are familiar with this as well. Jesus gave one man five talents, one man two talents, and one man one talent. And the the, the whole part of the story is it doesn't matter what he gave you, it's what you do with what he gave you. And one of the blessings here of of belonging to Christ is that you can use his gifts to advance his kingdom and to bring him glory. If you're a child of God, you've been gifted. And those gifts are given to you not for your purpose, not for your glory, not for your honor, not for your satisfaction. They've been given to you that you might advance the kingdom of God and increase the kingdom of God. And so he gives five to one and the guy comes back later on. He says, hey, you gave me five and here's five more. And, and the master says, man, come on in. You've done great. He, he comes up with a guy with two. And the guy with two says, hey, you gave me two, and here's two more. And he says, man, that's incredible. You come on in. And he gets the same response to the guy who made five and the guy who made two. It's not about what you make with it. It's what you do with it. And then you got the guy who was given one, and the guy who was given one going, man, I'm going to stick that in the ground. I ain't taking a chance of losing what I've got. I'm going to hang on to it. The master comes back and he digs up the treasure and says, hey, I knew you were a hard man and I knew you, you, you just got stuff given to you. I mean, yeah. well, here's, here's, your, here's your one thing back. And he calls him a wicked, lazy servant. And he uses that term servant very loosely. And he says to him, get him out of here. Get him out of here. One of the blessings of belonging to Jesus is that we begin to understand how to use the things God's given us for his glory while we're here on this earth. We don't just bury it. We don't just become self-absorbed with it. We don't just become misers that hang on to it. We take the things God gives us and we, we invest those things in a way that produces the, the biggest results for the kingdom of God. We use his gifts to advance his kingdom. Verse 21, his master says to the one that brought back more, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We all say that when we die, we want God to be able to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. How do you get there? You let Jesus transform you to where the things that you do advance his kingdom and help make a difference for him. And there's one other advantage that I see, and it's back to the story that we started with, with the sheep and the goats. 
and that is the benefit of belonging to Jesus is that one day we will be warmly welcomed into his kingdom. Not just as a servant, but as a child with an inheritance that's been prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Now here's what we've got to grab hold of today before we leave. Not one of these ten benefits that I've just mentioned is possible unless you belong to Jesus. Can't do any of those ten things unless you belong to Jesus. And without Jesus, the list is just as long as as it was for those things that we can do. You see, without Jesus, we're not going to recognize the signs of his coming. We're just going to be caught up in the day-to-day stuff and not knowing where this is all leading and what waits for us on the other side. We will not be alert, but our eyes will be dull, our hearing will be dull, and we will just live without an awareness of what Jesus is doing. Another disadvantage of, of, of not belonging to Jesus is that we will be easily led astray. We will not withstand the persecution that's to come. We will, we will make a, a, a vital mistake of foolishly mistaking that external religion is what he's after instead of a spiritual preparedness. We'll be dressed like the five virgins that, that didn't have oil. They were dressed to the hilt, had their makeup done, everything ready but they didn't have what was required to go with the groom. We'll also use God's provisions to indulge our flesh. We'll live in fear of God instead of gratitude for God. And our unregenerate hearts will fail to make the connection between serving others and serving Jesus. And we'll continue just to serve those who can serve us back, to help those who will help us back. But with Jesus, everything's different. When you belong to Jesus, he makes you alert and aware of what he's doing in your day. He prepares you for what's yet to come. He counters Satan's lies with his truth so that we're not led astray. He holds us close so that that we can't be picked off. He reminds us of our mission and strengthens us to succeed. He leads us in love and he blesses our efforts so we can bring him glory. He fills us with his spirit so that we can rest secure knowing that when he comes, we'll be ready. And he makes ministry a joy as he transforms my heart from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. But this happens only for those who will acknowledge their dependence upon God. Have you reached that point in your life where you say, God, I can't, I can't. I I could try, but I can't do it. I need you. I want to be ready when you come back. I want to be faithful when you find me. I want to be, I want to go out with my boots on. And the only way that's possible is if we belong to Jesus. It's not about belonging to a church. It's not about being religious. It's not about attending another worship service. It's about belonging to Jesus. So as we close today, as we kind of shut down one year and get ready to open up another year, we are another year closer to the return of Christ. And knowing that Jesus could return at any moment, why would we postpone getting ready right now? 
You say, well, my calculations tell me that it's going to be at least another 20 years. And what if your calculations are wrong? What if instead of being 20 years from now, it's 20 minutes from now? Are you willing to take that risk? Because once he shuts that door, no man can reopen that door. We, we get ourselves ready, guys, not by doing, but by surrendering ourselves to the one who has already done it all. It's by grace, not by our works. Are you ready? Because those who are ready will be looking to Jesus to save them from their sins, to transform them from where they were to where he wants them to be. And they look to Jesus to fill them with the oil of his spirit, to to fill them with the power from on high, and to give them wisdom that only comes from God. You can't focus on the externals about what you can do. You, You can get the outside looking really, really good and still be dead on the inside. What's required? To be ready for the return of Christ is to surrender everything to Jesus and to say, Lord, I can't, but you did. And I'm going to put my trust in what you've done, not in what I can do. And we invite him to come and to change us right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful to close out this year and be able to say on the last Sunday of 2021, I surrendered everything to Jesus and I asked him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And that Sunday, that moment, everything changed. I belong to Jesus and the benefits that we've looked at today of belonging to Jesus are now mine. It's not an instant transformation, but it's a moment in time where everything changes and everything begins to be new. So this morning I ask you, not if you're religious, not if you've gone to church enough this year, but I'm asking you this, are you ready for Jesus to come back? What if he were to come back before we finish praying this morning? Would you be ready? Would you be one of the ones that his angels gather and, and, and take to be with him? Or would you be one of those that's left behind to suffer the wrath of Almighty God? We need to be ready. Because the king is coming. He is coming. And he is coming back sooner than ever before. Let's pray.